So guys, I'm so excited to be able to preach again for the second time. Um, I'm getting a few opportunities of these this year, and I am so blessed and grateful to Pastor Dex, but ultimately to God as well, um, that I get this opportunity to share the word with you guys. Um, And these two weeks, God has really been speaking to me, uh, and I'll talk a bit more about how he's been speaking to me exactly. Um, so I'm looking forward to being able to speak tonight from the word. Um, so, but before I even jump in, um, why don't you guys just pray with me? I just want to pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that when your word is proclaimed, it goes forth, God, and you achieve the purpose for which you want it to be sent. God, I, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that, that makes your word alive. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and make your word alive to us in this place, Lord. Lord, I pray for, for hearts ready and open, my mind included, God, and especially to receive what you have to speak to us tonight, God. Lord, I pray that my words would be your words and that you would ultimately speak what you want to speak, God, and that I would not get in the way because your people need to hear from you more than they need to hear from me, God. And if you're not going to to give me the words to speak tonight, God, there's no point me being up here because it's you that's going to make the change. So God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify your name, Jesus, in this place. We thank you in your name we pray. Amen. So, as CNF mentioned, uh, the scripture I'm going to be reading and looking from tonight is John uh, chapter 20. And funnily enough, uh, this scripture is following directly on from what Pastor Dex preached last week. And that was totally by coincidence. We hadn't, well, I had asked Pastor Dex after he had mentioned um, that he was going to be speaking from about when Jesus appeared to the disciples after uh, the tomb was found empty. And I said to Pastor Dex, and I actually thought at that point, because I had decided to preach from John, and I was like, I hope he doesn't pick the same scripture. And as it happens, Pastor Dex finished off exactly where I'm going to be starting this week. So to me, that was kind of a sign from God that, yes, I am speaking from the right scripture. So if you want to come with me, uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, to John uh, chapter 20, and we're going to be starting in verse 24. So, sorry, cool. Alrighty. So it says this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side... I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And funnily enough, today is a week after last week as well. So interesting. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. That the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So just a bit of context, um, 
I need to grab my water because I've forgotten it there. But just a bit of context um, about this passage. So if you remember from last week, um, Pastor Dex was talking about how Jesus appeared to his disciples in the room after the Sunday when the tomb was found empty. So Mary and some of the other women uh, went to the tomb and it was empty. But then Jesus appeared to Mary and Mary was astounded. And then Mary went to the other disciples who were kind of cowering like wusses in a, a, a building somewhere in Jerusalem. And Mary comes to them and she's like, I have seen the Lord. And they're like, yeah, no, you've not seen the Lord. Like you're crazy. Um, but Peter and some of the others went to the tomb and they found the tomb empty. And then they're all sitting together, gathered together, and then Jesus appears in their midst. And what we may not have, have found out last week, but we found here in this scripture, is that Thomas wasn't with them. He wasn't with the, the, the original 12 disciples, well, the 11 disciples, I guess, or 10, if you're not encountering Judas, because stuff happened to him, but that's another story. Um, but anyway, so those people, he was there, Jesus appeared to them. And so Thomas didn't believe, because he wasn't there. And then a week later, uh, he appeared to, to Thomas as well. Now, Thomas, he has the name Doubting Thomas, and forever he has been described as that in the church because of his doubt. And it seems like that doesn't seem like a positive title for anybody to be called Doubting Thomas, um, but it's stuck with him. But I want to say to you guys that at certain times or another, we're all Doubting Thomases as well. And now it's interesting because Thomas doubted in this moment, but church history tells us that Thomas was the first person to go to India and bring the gospel to India. And not only that, there's Indian Christians who can tell you uh, their family line of Christians, they can say that it goes all the way back to Thomas having believed. So Thomas made a serious impact in India, despite the fact that he doubted here. So one thing that I just want to put out to you guys now, before I get into the rest of this sermon, is that it's okay to doubt. God is not going to condemn you for doubting, um, Jesus, in fact, actually was, he, he did rebuke Thomas here in this scripture, but it was a very gentle rebuke. So there's no condemnation for your doubts. So just wanting to, to put that out there. So first, before I, I've got three points tonight, but before I get into that, I just want to talk about the nature of belief, faith, and doubt. So according to Google, because you know, Google is the best prophet there is, um, belief Uh, is defined as an acceptance that something exists or is true. And that's either with or without evidence. Faith, on the other hand, according to the Bible, in Hebrews 11, chapter 1 to 2 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, we often get faith and belief confused. Now, according to the Bible, faith and belief are not necessarily the same thing. The Greek words here used for faith and belief come from the same root word, so they have a very similar meaning, but faith and belief are not the same thing, and I'll tell you why. In James chapter 2, I think it is, I could be totally wrong, somebody fact check me if you like and tell me after, but in James chapter 2, Um, James is talking about the good works uh, of believers. And he's saying some people were, because they believed that God is one, right? They were were saying, yeah, I'm really good. But James said, 
You believe God is one. Good for you. Even the demons believe that. So belief on its own is not enough. Because even the demons believe that God exists, that God is real. They know him. So there's a difference there. Now, faith. We often think of faith as something that we possess. Now, no spoilers, but I kind of think of faith like an infinity stone. So if you guys know Avengers, it's, we often think of it as, a, as an object that we can, we can get that's going to give us powers and abilities. And the more of it we have, the more ability we're going to have to, to do whatever we want, right? Or not necessarily what we want, maybe achieve the things that we want to achieve. But I want to tell you that, that biblically speaking, faith isn't something, it's not an object that you can kind of grasp. Faith is trust and, and more faith, trust in someone who is bigger than ourselves. So scripture does tell us that faith, even as small as a mustard seed, is powerful enough to move mountains, right? And some people think that if you have enough faith, you can be healed. Or if you have enough faith, uh, this can be done for you. If I just believe and declare and decree this thing, it's going to be done and it's going to be achieved for me. Now, I was watching a, a sermon recently um, that really helped me with uh, the preparation of this message tonight. And it was actually sent to me by Chris. Um, and it was by Trip Lee. Now, Trip Lee is a rapper and preacher. He's really cool. If you've never heard of him before, look him up. Um, and he was preaching on the idea of, of healing and faith. And he was talking about how people often think that if they are really bold in their prayers, if they say, God, I, I know you're going to give this to me. God, I believe that, that, that if I have enough faith, you're going to do this for me. Or I'm going to declare and decree and I'm going to like name this and I'm going to claim this in the name of Jesus, that that is bold faith. And it was very interesting because he said, that's not actually bold faith, that's pseudo faith. Because what that is, is that's dependent on your own ability. True faith is being able to submit to the will of God in any situation because you know his goodness and you trust his character in his person and his whole being. So that is what true faith is. True faith isn't naming and claiming. True faith is saying, God, your will be done, but I know you can do it. I know you can do it because of who you are. That's true faith, church. So with that, before we talk a bit of doubt, I want to talk about my experience the last two weeks. So <laughs> I haven't have been having a particularly good time of it. Um, some of you guys who are pretty close to me will, will know that. Um, I've been thinking about ministry and, you know, what I'm doing and, and all these types of things, and I've been doubting the purpose for doing it. I've been sometimes feeling like, what is, what, what is actually the point of doing any of this? And so coming to prepare uh, this message, I'll be honest with you, I didn't feel that I had the capability to be able to be up here and to preach to you guys. I didn't think that I was going to be able to do it. 
Uh, I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to have a sermon that was going to be able to touch you guys or that you were going to be able to take something away from what I was going to be able to speak tonight. And what I realized from that is I was making that all about me. It wasn't about God and God's ability because I've preached before. This is not the first time that I've preached. And I know that my ability is given to me by God. And so I was doubting not really my own ability. I was doubting about whether or not God was actually going to show up tonight and God was going to use me to be able to speak to you guys. And so ultimately, my doubt was because I didn't trust God's ability to speak through me. And so tonight, when I'm speaking to you guys, please know that this message has spoken to me beforehand and I'm taking this advice just as much as I'm giving it to you. Um, and I hope that that doesn't make me, I'm, I'm really glad and I'm really grateful to God that I can actually stand up here and not be like a hypocrite because I am experiencing this firsthand, what I'm sharing tonight with you guys. So doubt, what is doubt? Well, doubt, if you notice, with Thomas, so let's use Thomas as an example because we call him Doubting Thomas anyway. So he had spent uh, the last three years prior to this event happening, he had spent this three years with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He had walked with Jesus. He had seen firsthand the miracles that Jesus had done. So he knew that Jesus was God. He believed. He believed in his heart that Jesus was God. He knew it. But he still doubted. So doubt is not the absence of, not the complete absence of faith. Doubt is just faith that has fears and temptations and sins and all kinds of things attached to it that are weighing you down. So if you think of two other examples, there was uh, when Peter was called to walk out on the water with Jesus, Jesus said to him, why do you doubt? Peter already knew because in that time, someone who could conquer waves and chaos that person was God because the Jewish people knew that God is the only one that can calm the waters. So they knew in that position, Peter knew that Jesus was God and yet he still doubted. Then there was the, uh, I forget what he was. He was a centurion or something like that. Um, and I'm just recalling this now, but he said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, forgive my unbelief. And in both those instances, Jesus didn't say, you're a bad person because you don't believe, get away from me. Jesus said, stop doubting, believe. Jesus is calling people to trust him. So with that, let's go straight into my three points. The first one is this. God is faithful when we are faithless. God is faithful when we are faithless. So even in this instance where Thomas didn't have faith, God was still faithful because Thomas had so many people telling him, the Lord is alive. The Lord is alive, but Thomas still doubted. But what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't abandon him, didn't walk away from him. Jesus appeared to him and said, look, see my marks, touch them with your own hands, experience them. In 2 Timothy 2, 8 to 13, it says this, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, 
descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. Pay attention to this, guys. If we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. God is faithful because that is his character. Because God himself is confined to his own character. He's not like us. We can be from one day to another, we can flit and flat from being faithful. We can be disobedient. We can do all different types of things. And I'm not even just talking in regards to God. I'm talking in regards to one another as well. Even towards ourselves. One day we can feel super confident. The next day we can feel really like What's the opposite of confident? Uh, Insecure. That's it. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so we can feel confident and insecure from day to day. But God is constant. God is constant because he cannot deny himself. So that's important to remember. So when we are faithless, when we doubt, God is still God. God is always good. God is always kind. God is always merciful. God always loves us constantly because that is just his character. And he can't deny himself. He can't change himself because he is perfection. We're imperfect. But God is, God is perfect. God is perfection itself. So my second point is this. And this is an interesting one. And it comes from Jesus' own words itself. So he says in verse, 20, uh, verse 27. No, sorry. It's verse 29. Then Jesus told him, and this is, sorry, back to to John. I know I'm jumping around a bit, but I'm trying to let the scriptures speak for themselves uh, tonight. So John chapter 20, verse 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. What does that mean? I think naturally when we come to that scripture, we're kind of like, well, no, if we see something, then we're sure that that thing exists. Therefore, I can believe in it better. How many of you guys believe that chairs exist? Some of you didn't raise your hands. I wonder what you're sitting on. But um, yeah, so everyone believes chairs exist. So let's say you were to go home and shut yourself in a room that was completely empty and you turn the lights off and you think about things that exist. Would you think that a chair exists? You would because... You haven't, even though you're not seeing it, you, you're confident that a chair exists. Uh, that's kind of the same with what God's speaking here because, well, it's actually, well, anyway, I'll, I'll explain further. <laughs> so Jesus is saying that you don't need to see something to have an assurance that it, that it actually exists. So like we were talking about this, and now I, I won't be able to go into it because, although I would love to, because I love this topic, but there is plenty of evidences for God's existence. Plenty of them. There's also plenty of evidence for the resurrection. Now that also is a sermon on its own. So I won't go into that today, but 
take my word for it. If not, go out and, and research it yourself. So we don't have to see Jesus himself or see the resurrection happen itself to know that it, belie- that, that it actually existed. We can believe that it exists. Now, how many of you came into this place now when you walked in and tested your chair to see if it was going to hold you before you sat in it? No one. Oh, you did? Cool. Awesome. <laughs> That's good. That's very safe. <laughs> but so the majority of you didn't. But at one time or another, you have had an encounter with a chair that has given you uh, the assurance and the trust in all chairs that exist. So you now no longer have to test chairs to see if they're going to hold you. So the same thing is with God. You don't have to see him or encounter him or even test him really to know that he's going to be able to hold you or that he's worth trusting. So, now what does Jesus mean by those who who have believed without seeing are blessed? Well, that, but also this. We tend to think that the disciples were a special bunch of people because they got to live with Jesus day in, day out. They got to speak with him one-on-one. They got to physically touch him. They got to see all the miracles that the Gospels record. And we think of them as really special But Jesus is like, no, those who have not seen me are actually more blessed. So why is that? Well, if we go to Ephesians uh, chapter 11, uh, no, chapter 1, sorry, verses 11 to 14. Now, you don't have to, if you don't worry about going there, I'll just read it to you. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So why are we more blessed? We're more blessed because now when we believe in Jesus, we receive his very spirit inside of us. So the scripture is saying that the Holy Spirit is placed in us to seal us, seal our salvation restore us to Christ, and then also work in and through us to achieve God's will and purpose on this earth, but also to grow us and to conform us to the image of his Son. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So that's why Jesus is saying, you are more blessed. Because your belief, your faith, your ability, everything that you do is because God himself is living inside of you. And as I mentioned before, God can't deny himself. So if God is in you, he's going to do what he's going to do in his full and perfect power and ability. It's not dependent on us, on our ability. Because God cannot deny himself. But also this. If you... I'll tell you a story. So one of my best friends, uh, he's not a Christian. And when I first became a Christian, I was talking to him about God and as you do. And, you know, I was trying to 
give him all the arguments for why God exists and, and trying to, you know, convert him. Um, but he said to me, well, this all just seems too hard. If God would just appear to me and show himself to me, I will believe. I was like, gee, what do I say to that? Now, I wasn't really equipped to be able to, to talk more about that then. But now I know that because we humans are imperfect, let's say God does appear to you. What's to say that you're not going to make an excuse for why you won't believe in him? Or why you won't make him Lord of your life? But if God himself comes to you by the power of his Holy Spirit and reveals Christ, who is alive, if the Holy Spirit is doing that inside you, God can't deny himself. So the Spirit of God cannot deny Christ. So your belief is secure because it's God himself doing the work and revealing Christ inside of you. So that's why sometimes we think, well, why doesn't God just appear to people? But that's why. Because our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts, uh, they're not reliable. But the Spirit of God is because he's God himself. So... It's the Spirit of God inside of us testifying and we're more blessed because of that very reason. And now my last point. Our hope is alive. So verse 30 says this, and it's interesting because when I first read this scripture, I didn't realize that there was still another chapter to go after verse 30. And I thought, this is a very interesting little passage that John's stuck here. But in verse 30 and 31 of John chapter 20, it says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So doubt isn't something that is bad because it's going to receive the condemnation of God. Doubt isn't something that's bad because it's, well, it's mistrusting God, which it is. But it's bad because doubt does not lead to life. If you understand and you trust God in every single area and every single aspect, no matter your situation... It will lead to life because our God is alive. And if we realize that, no matter what, that God is good in every single situation. Take it from me, church. God is good. If you don't want to take it from me, you can take it from a lot of other people that are here in this building. You can also take it from the last 2,000 years of church history that God is good. And then 4,000 years for the people of Israel before that. And then maybe even further back to the people whom God revealed himself to. God is good. And it's not just me saying it. So if you take my word for it that God is good, and if we can come to a realization of who God is, how good he is, how sovereign he is, then trusting in him isn't hard. Because we know who he is. And we can totally let everything slip off us. Now, the resurrection is the ultimate truth that we have as believers. Because 
in the resurrection, God also displays his faithfulness to us. As we were praying uh, before the service, Pastor Dex was like, God, may we remember and celebrate the resurrection today just as much as we did last week. And that was spirit-led because that's been my prayer for this sermon. Because often the resurrection and Easter is the pinnacle of the church calendar. It's the very foundation of our faith. Without the resurrection, Paul says, your faith is in vain. So without the resurrection, there's no point to us even being here today. We'd just be gathering really just to to socialize. And I'd be talking at you with no purpose. But the resurrection is really the pinnacle of our faith. It's the very foundation of our faith. Without that, there's no point to anything. And that is the very truth that we cling to and the truth that we hold to. Not only that, the resurrection is our hope. Because in the resurrection, if that didn't happen, we'd just be worshipping a crucified carpenter who walked the earth 2,000 years ago and, you know, had some good teachings and stuff like that. But instead, by the resurrection, we are worshipping a God who was glorified, crowned, and made Lord of the universe through a cross, through a criminal's death. And by the power of that resurrection, we have hope that we too will be made new, be fully reconciled and be made perfect, just as he is perfect. So that is our hope. The New Testament reveals to us God's plan for redemption. And we know that that too is our hope. And Jesus died to save us from sin and death and to give us life in the fullest possible sense. Like I said, the resurrection of our bodies when he comes again. That's our hope. That's the Christian hope. If you take a Christianity 101 class or a Christian worldview class, that's what they're going to tell you. There'll be a topic called Christian hope, and that will be what the Christian hope is. The hope of our bodies too to be resurrected when Jesus returns. It's not just that he died to save us from our sins and now we're going to be left like this and die afterwards. No, he's going to resurrect us like he he is, resurrected with a glorified body and we're going to live for him for all eternity. And that is our ultimate hope. So, I think to me that that is the greatest demonstration of God's goodness and his faithfulness that there can be. Because if we can't trust a God who would send his only son to die for us, who can we trust? If nothing else, if you have never seen a miracle happen in your life, and they do happen, but maybe you're one of those people who's never seen someone be healed of some kind of illness, or you've never experienced God tangibly in worship or in some other setting. If God did nothing else for you ever again other than to send his son to die for you, and raise him to life for you, then that would be enough. That would be enough. And there's no condemnation for wanting more, guys. None whatsoever, because God is a good God. And out of the abundance of his grace, he gives to us good things. So we can pray and ask for him for healing. We can pray for a new job. We can pray for a new car. We can pray for all the things that we pray for, that we long for, that we dream about. We can because God is a good God and God doesn't stop there. It'd be enough if he stopped at the resurrection, but he doesn't. He continues to go on and he continues to be good to us. So I want to invite the team to come back up now. And I just want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 12. 
Because I guess this poses the question, what do we do when we doubt? What do we do when we doubt? And in Hebrews chapter 11, and that's the scripture that I mentioned before that says, faith is the hope of things not seen and all that. After those scriptures, the writer of Hebrews continues to go on and talk about all the greats of the faith. So Abraham, David, Samuel, Daniel, all these people from the Bible who have experienced God's goodness. Now, let me tell you, all those people were not confident people. They were not people who were like, yeah, God, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. In some instances they were. But by and large, they were scared people and all they did was trust in God. And the scripture at the end of Hebrews 11 says that they were faithful towards God and they trusted God even though that they didn't see the fulfillment of all the promises that God had given them. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, and Paul's talking about, well, not Paul. Well, some people say it's Paul, but maybe it's not. But anyway, he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who entered such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So when you doubt, it's okay to doubt, but remember what Christ has done for you day in, day out. One of my personal prayers is, God, remind me of the gospel every day of my life because that is the reality and that is the foundation of our faith and the gospel is what brings change eternally. The gospel the resurrection, our ultimate hope. It shows us that no matter what we are going through in every single circumstance, God is victorious. God is powerful and God is present. He died and rose again, not because He wanted to be showy, not because He wanted to give preachers something cool to preach about or directors something good to make a movie about. He died for a purpose. It's not dramatic. He died and rose again to purchase a people for Himself and to achieve something that is eternally significant in the lives of every single one of us. So what we're going to do now is we're just going to sing this song. But when we sing this song, I want you guys, as you're singing it, to, to actually think about the words. If you know the song, contemplate the words a bit more. If you don't know the song, that's okay. But just think about the words that you're singing as you read them on the screen. So let's worship together, church.